We return to Deuteronomy. I appreciate your patience as I've needed some time. I uh, was finally able to work through the Hebrew <laughs> this week. Uh, I had the commentaries done quite a while ago, so I had to revisit and refresh. But um, I wanted, I, I don't like to do it without also making sure I get through the language, which I, translation, which I usually do first. Uh, Psalm 115, I want to point out something before we come to Deuteronomy 12, which is Moses' sermon, his entire sermon on the second commandment, having no idols. Uh, we remember we're in the section of Deuteronomy now where Moses, uh, Moses is expanding, applying each of the Ten Commandments. We finished the lengthy sermon on the First Commandment last when we finished chapter 11. We're going to read the whole chapter 12, and the whole chapter 12 begins and ends the sermon on the Second Commandment. But notice as, I, as we sang Psalm 115, which sings all about, don't turn to idols. They can't do anything for you. And they're made by men. <laughs> and they're going to be just like them. And that's what God's calling us. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Canaanites as you're about to go take the promised land. Don't take up their practices. As we know from other scriptures, I'm getting rid of them from the land. I'm causing the land to vomit them out because of such practices. Don't pick them up. Cleanse the place. Bring in the true religion. But notice, the problem with idols is we're ultimately trying to trust in something else. We're trying to manipulate and get something else and ultimately trusting in ourselves to manipulate such things. But the psalm says you can't get anything out of them. Trust only in the Lord, verse 9. But what I want to point out, verse 1 does say, as we looked at, it's not unto us, it's not unto us, but for God's glory. That's how we decide what we do in worship and what we don't do and where and with what. Because it's for God's glory. Worship is for God. It is not for us. We are saved to be disciples. We are saved to glorify God and enjoy Him indeed. Rejoicing will be in our text today. But notice something else I want to point out. Unto thy name be glory. Unto God's name be glory. We are in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We are to hallow God's name. And what you're going to recognize is we're told to take away these pagan practices, to destroy all their idols in the land, and that their name, these idols, would be removed. And in place, it'll say that God's name would be put there with his people. So have all that in view as we give ourselves this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Moses' sermon in full on the second commandment. Hear now the word of the Lord. And as I do read it, there's a lot here. I'm only reading through verse 31, although I'll comment on verse 32 in the Hebrew. And the commentary seemed to follow this, and I've determined I'm going to follow it. We're going to save verse 32 for next week when we get into chapter 13 and beginning to preach on the third commandment. Uh, that's why we're not closing the last verse that you have in English today. We're going to finish with verse 31, and you'll see 31 closes what it opens with about idolatry directly. Okay. I'm going to make an effort not to be getting into all the details. A lot of these details are in other chapters and in other books. So I ask you to really pay attention to the details. I'm going to just highlight some main themes here together today. Okay? Hear now the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy 12. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord... God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. 
ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heath offerings of your hand and your vows and your free will offerings and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. For ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. But when ye go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which ye vow unto to the Lord. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maid servants and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest. But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. Notwithstanding, thou mayest kill and eat flesh in all thy gates whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he hath given thee. The unclean and the clean may eat thereof, as of the roebuck and as of the heart. Only ye shall not eat the blood. Ye shall pour it upon the earth as water. Thou mayest not eat within thy gates the tithe of thy corn, or of thy wine, or of thy oil, or of thy firstlings of thy herds, or of thy flock, nor any of thy vows which thou vowest, nor thy freewill offerings, or heave offerings, or thy hand. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thine hands unto. Take heed to thyself that thou forsake not the Levite as long as thou livest upon the earth. When the Lord thy God shall enlarge thy border as he hath promised thee, and thou shalt say, I will eat flesh because thy soul longeth to eat flesh. Thou mayest eat flesh whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. If the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to put his name there be too far from thee, then thou shalt kill of thy herd and of thy flock which the Lord hath given thee, as I have commanded thee, and thou shalt eat in thy gates whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Even as the roebuck and the heart is eaten, so thou shalt eat them. The unclean and the clean shall eat of them alike. Only be sure that thou eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and thou mayest not eat the life with the flesh. Thou shalt not eat it. Thou shalt pour it upon the earth as water. 
thou shalt not eat it, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Only thy holy things which thou hast, and thy vows thou shalt take, and go unto the place which the Lord shall choose. And thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood upon the altar of the Lord thy God. And the blood of thy sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt eat the flesh. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever. When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself, that thou be not snared by following them. After that they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise." Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. That's where we end today. Again, it has been some time uh, since we finished Moses' first sermon on the first commandment. Chapters 6 through 11 was his expanding and applying and explaining the first commandment. We finished that last time. We pick it up now in chapter 12, where Moses explains and applies the second commandment. The first one was related to it, of course. You can have no other gods before me. That is in my presence. So idolatry is spoken of in those texts because it overlaps so much. But today we begin Moses preaching the second commandment, which is you shall not have idols. You shall not make idols. You shall not bow down to them. Now, if you look at the language in verse one, it's very familiar. It's almost exactly the same as uh, the language in verse one of chapter six that began the first commandment. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. So it's very similar to how the first sermon on the first commandment began. Now, this actually kind of sets up the rest of the Ten Commandments because they all flow from the first. That's why this can be shorter, because the first is really given a lot of attention. No other gods. God alone is God. Love him only. Serve him only. Worship him only. Everything else is basically applying that first commandment. Still, we want to recognize we're starting this next commandment, a new section. And we remember uh, what we just read, but I would like to go back to it. It's the second commandment that Moses is preaching on today. Let's read it directly in the Ten Commandments. This is his sermon on the second commandment, Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 to 10. Let's just have it right before us. The second commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 10. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. 
Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Notice there is an extra reason annexed. We will consider that with the catechisms today. There's an extra reason given to obey this command and how it relates to our children and our children's children. Uh, of course, Deuteronomy 5, 8 to 10 is a restating when, of when the Ten Commandments were first given in Exodus 20, 4 to 6. J.G. McConville points out the main idea of this second sermon on the second commandment by Moses. He says the primacy of the subject of chapter 12 is worship. I really want to challenge you to be thinking about the day. You and I are very likely to think, oh, we don't have any problem with idolatry, right? Oh, yeah, I know. We have to be careful about money and food and things in our life. But we don't think of ourselves as idolaters as it relates to worship. But you very well could be practicing idolatry right now today in this place. We very well could be, depending on what we do or we don't do and where we do it and how we do it. Most importantly, in our hearts. We'll think about that more later. But here's the thing to remember. Worship is more than simply about pieces of material that you might manipulate and then try to manipulate. Worship and not having idolatry in it is just as much about the what of worship, the how of worship, and ultimately the who, capital W, of worship. The question is, are you living for God? Are you worshiping God? Or are you actually more interested in worshiping yourself and the world through its false gods? And your practices that you may try to justify, many churches will justify, tradition and history will justify, but scripture will not, and history of the church will not, but we pick up these things from the world. And while I make a note about the season later on, we don't have to think about that. There's all kinds of things churches bring into our worship that have nothing to do with the Bible. God's people must not worship like pagans by doing whatever they want, whenever, however, and wherever they think it up. As New Testament talks about vain imaginations, right? I give that to you as the main point of chapter 12 today, Moses' sermon on the second commandment, thou shalt not make, bow down, worship any idols. God's people must not worship like pagans by doing whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, wherever they think it up. The issue we're talking about is defined as the regulative principle of worship. We do what God commands, and we do not do what God does not command. It's as simple as that. So verse 32 of chapter 12 will be what we begin the next sermon with, but it basically says that don't do anything I haven't told you to do, and make sure you do what I've told you to do. And of course, the two go so much together. People who want to bring in pagan practices, what goes out so quickly is what we're supposed to be doing. You know, all kinds of theater comes into the church, and, and, and then very infrequently do you ever have the Lord's Supper, which I appreciate Richard Phillips point out is, is the drama of the church for worship. The Lord's Supper, remembering what he did and what he must have felt like, what he did to save us. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 says essentially the same thing, just like the end of Revelation, do not add or take away. That's the regulative principle of worship. We do what God commands. We do not do what he has not commanded. It's that simple. And how do we know? The Bible. The word of God.
Now that might seem very stern to you and restrictive. I noticed uh, we had a recent Google uh, review. I don't know who it was, if it's a real person who's ever been here or not, gave us a one-star review and uh, said we are, uh, there's no liberty and we're, uh, we're in cage stage. Well, that's what people always say about the Puritans, isn't it? That's what the word Puritan means. It's a derogatory term, actually. From where? The broader church that doesn't want to consider getting rid of Roman Catholic practices in its worship and its government. Sounds very stern and restrictive. You know, very cold and unhappy not to let me do whatever I want. When the opposite is true, it's about joy. There is a theme of rejoicing when we do what the Lord wants for him. Then it's real. And he's real within in us. Verses 7, 12, and 18, all about rejoicing. Don't let anybody tell you that worshiping the Lord only the way he says to worship is a... Because it's not about us. It's not about being cold. It's about rejoicing in the Lord as he wants just as when it's your birthday, we do what you want on your birthday because it isn't about me and I'm happy to do what makes you happy, right? That's the thing. It's the Lord's Day today, 52 weeks of the year. He's governed the calendar of the year for the church by a weekly Sabbath. And we are to be rejoicing in the resurrection every Lord's Day where his people are called to be together and worshiping him with joy. Further, not only is what you're learning about not having idolatry today in the way you worship, it's not just that then you'll truly be rejoicing, but it's so that it would go well for you and that it would go well for your children with a blessing. Verses 7, 25, 28. More than rejoicing in worship, more than your lives going well and for your children. Notice again, that's the reason annexed in the second commandment, that it would go well for your children and not bad for them. What's more is that it would not be horrible for you and for your children. For it ends, the chapter ends, warning about how the pagans in the promised land would be overtaken by the ways of the pagans and then offer their children literally as burnt sacrifices to the pagan gods. Verse 31, that's the ultimate warning. Don't go to idolatry. You'll ultimately sacrifice your children. Hey, beloved, isn't that a problem in our nation, in the world? Oh, we sacrifice many children in the womb at the idolatry that we have in our lives. We justify it because of the what we want from this world, what we want for ourselves. And we sacrifice children before they ever have a chance to say mama or dada out of idolatry. Don't think we're not in the same danger. We just have more sophisticated idols. And we're more careful and sophisticated about how we go about it. But the Christian church, sadly, is just as much to be at fault, whether it's a lack of a voice or too many doing the practice. Because of the idols we've set before our people, the idols we've set before our young men and women, career, jobs, money, houses, boats, cars, vacations, influence, the world's idols. Now, none of these things in themselves are already offered. They're not necessarily wrong. But when that's what we live for, we kill our children. And God's warning about that. So, beloved, as we begin to look at this today, recognize how far this can go, how far you can go, where this can go for your children and the children of the church, let alone the world, sacrificing them to these idols, to these false religions and these false gods. 
And sadly, the people did take on their idols at times in this land. And at times, they actually did burn their children to these idols. They did. 2 Corinthians 28, 3. 2 Kings 17 to, 18, 17, 17 to 18. 2 Kings 21, 6. It happens sometimes with God's own people. They didn't take this warning seriously today, and they did just that. That said, it is important to have the proper practice, the proper place, and ultimately the proper person in view for worship. It's a matter of life and death. So chapter 12 is summarized by Victor Hamilton as worship the right way. That's the concern today, that we would worship the right way. Idolatry is very much about the way we worship God. And we can take the pagans' practices and bring them right into the church and sit down in the pews with them. And be guilty of idolatry before God with ways he has not told us to worship him. If it's not right, it is wrong. And things will go wrong. Ultimately, Away from God. Notice the warning is don't be ensnared. Don't be trapped. Here's what you hear, have to hear, beloved. And certainly this time of year, you're going to be trapped. That's how Satan gets you. He's an angel masquerading as an angel. Uh, he's masquerading as an angel of light. He makes it look good. He makes it feel good. It's all about feelings and emotions and sentiment. What I want for me, not about what God wants for him and his glory. We have to worship him the right way properly, the proper place, the proper practice, the proper person. Ultimately, I give you this as the message for the sermon today. Properly regulate your worship. To not be given to idolatry is more than just don't make things and bow down to them. Properly regulate your worship and do not let the world govern what we do. Only God and the Bible. First of all, have the proper policy and practice. Have the proper policy and practice for your Christian worship. Remember, Calvin says that all of our hearts are little idol factories, I-D-O-L, probably also related to idleness, but idolatry. Our hearts just love to keep spitting them out. And don't forget that and don't think that's not true of you. Constantly, we're tempted to model the ways of this world, to make them, to mold them to what we see and make them our gods in the way that we rely on them and less on God. Look at your devotions this week and tell me who's your idol and who's your God. Preaching that to myself, beloved. And this is the danger. We are just inclined in our sinful man to idolatry. We're just inclined to be drawn away by these little idols hung before us, these sparkly, wonderful, lovely things to take us away from our God. Look at verses 29 and 30. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them and dwell in them, take heed. Uh, and excuse me, I started with the verse 28 by mistake. Verse 30 now. Take heed to thyself that thou not 
be not snared by following them. After that, they be destroyed from before thee. And that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, well, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. You're going to be in danger. Well, how did they do it? And maybe there's something I can take out of this. Maybe there's something we can learn from the world and apply it to Christianity and worship be gone. How about we focus on what God has told us to do? There's plenty there. It's much simpler and real. But notice this idea of being ensnared. Hey, how is an animal ensnared? If you just jump out and try to grab a rabbit, have fun with that. You're never going to catch him. You know, you got that proverbial carrot, a little trap ready to snatch him. You get him to bite. And be careful you don't start to bite of the practices of this world and find yourself ensnared by them to the point of idolatry where you turn from God. You justify false worship in his presence even and in your homes. That's going to be the danger always. Recognize this. Christianity is always in danger of syncretism, which always leads to idolatry. Here, God says, no toleration of the pagans' idolatrous practices. That's the principle. No toleration of the pagans' idolatrous practices. Not borrowing things that look good on their own. Stop. None of it. It all has meaning, and it means to take you away from Jesus. Verses 2 to 3, you must not copy but destroy such idolatrous images and practices. And notice the places they go to do these things. All over the place, but not God's temple. Notice the groves and the trees. That comes up a lot. Do you see how much that's coming up? Groves and trees. So often they went to such places as so much of idolatry, even more modern times, has gone to the trees and worshipped them and made idols of them or carved idols out of them, manufactured, man-made. Now regarding the trees and groves, John D. Currid writes this, The main fertility goddess, Asherah, was depicted as a sacred tree. P.C. Craigie, the foreign sanctuaries were located in places believed by the Canaanites to have particular religious significance. Some shrines were located on high mountains and hills. The mountain or hill was sometimes thought to be the home of a god. And by ascending the mountain, the worshiper was in some symbolic sense closer to the deity. Pillars or standing stones symbolizing the deity in some manner. Asherim, by the way, when you see groves, the Hebrew is their Asherim, uh, is a tree, a wooden pole symbolizing the fertility goddess and images of their god. That word Asherim is related to Asherah, one of the female fertility goddesses. Isn't that interesting that uh, this time of year we looked at studying our Sabbath class today, the origin of practices around December 25th was with a fertility god, not the birth of our Lord. Jay Ritterboss says, Israel could begin to worship the Canaanite gods directly. They could begin to worship, quote-unquote, the Lord in a pagan manner. So I say, hey, I'm going to put you into this land. We're going to take them out. But you're going to be my people. But in that land, you take their practices. You're going to pretend you're worshiping me with their pagan practices. And that's not going to work. Ritterboss goes on to say, or Israel could combine the worship of the Lord with that of the idols. That's a lot of that happening all through church history, isn't there? Well, I'll bring some things in from other places. We'll syncretize it. He goes on. The one could easily lead to the other. And our verses do not make a sharp distinction between these various forms of pagan or paganized cultists. They speak in one breath of idolatry. Verse 30. 
and of serving the Lord in a pagan manner. Verse 31. It was possible to practice the Canaanite worship while attaching the Lord's name to it. This is what verse 31 has in mind. He says, you must not serve the Lord your God. Don't try to worship me with pagan practices of the land. Victor Hamilton points out that almost everything in chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 11 of chapter 10 recalls the golden calf incident of Exodus 32. That's not long before this command, right? What do they do at Mount Sinai? The first giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses isn't coming down as fast as they like. They make out of their gold these golden calves, and they say, here is your God. Worship him. He's the one that brought you out of Egypt. So they don't completely forget him. They just assign idolatry. And we're so in danger of the same. This time of year, reflecting of much pagan and Roman Catholic cultists in too many churches today, as we studied the last few weeks in some videos in Sabbath class, Jeremiah 10 verses 1 to 5 is pretty important to think, considering how much is spoken about groves and trees related to cultic pagan worship. Jeremiah 10, 1 to 5 in part, hear ye, actually it's verses 1 through 4 in whole, I believe. Hear ye the word, Jeremiah 10, 1 to 4. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Notice the strong language in our text, verses 2 to 3. Destroy them! Destroy such things! Because God's going to. Verse 29, he's going to cut them all off for doing these things. Do not allow such to be left standing. Instead... He reviews Leviticus, especially chapters 1 to 5 about the voluntary offerings. You do it the way he prescribed in those chapters that we are reading through in God's providence and morning worship right now. You do it how he said to do it, and you do it where he said to do it. Do it as God prescribed, verse 6. All which I commanded you, verses 1 and 11. Notice verses 11 and 19, a reminder not to forget to tithe and take care of the Levites. That's actually uh, verses 19 to 20, as well as verse 19. I think it would say 18 to 20. So note there. Not to forget tithing, taking care of the Levites who were the ones appointed to lead and administer worship by God. And also don't make priests of yourselves and idolatry of yourselves, funding your own. A lot of people just think they can be their own priests. I don't need church. I don't need, we don't need pastors. We don't need officers. God has ordained and called them all very clearly in scripture. But also don't forget in Judges when they did what was right in their own eyes. At the end, it ain't so nice. One person gets chopped up in lots of pieces and sent to all the tribes. But what's ultimately there towards the end is someone decides to make his own priest for his own private house. 
It doesn't matter that he isn't of the pro pro proper ways or calling of the Lord. This is what we do. We'll make our own church. Well, this is what a lot of people do when they don't want to obey in church. I'm going to go and start my own church. Do what I want there. Well, sure. Whatever you want to say, that's not true worship. When we avoid doing what God tells us to do. Remember the Westminster Confession of Faith 21 is all about religious worship in the Sabbath day. I'm not going to take us there today for sake of time, but I remind you there's a whole chapter about how we are to worship. And in particular, when and where and how the Sabbath day. Well, you know, the December 25th is coming up. Uh, Christmas Eve is coming up on the Sabbath day. And as you know, when that's come up a number of times in the last few years, the day of, all of a sudden nobody needs to go to church. Churches close. God said nothing of that, but he has said, show up the first day of the week and worship me. And the whole day is my day. Not your day. Not with the practices of pagan practices that the Roman church has made, quote unquote, holy. It has nothing to do with anything I've said about worshiping me. But you're going to skip my Lord's day. I mean, how many people you try to talk about these kinds of things, but you try to talk about the basic obedience of the Lord God in worship and life, and they don't want anything to do with it. I will bring to you the Westminster Larger Catechism question number 51. The answer is this. The second commandment that Moses is preaching on today, no idols. The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. Worshiping God in any way he has not told you to do in the Bible is idolatry. It's not just making images. It's acting like them and the fake people who make these fake images. To worship God any way he is not prescribed is idolatry. In Christianity, there's no place for that. Have the proper place for your Christian worship. Have the proper policy and practice for your Christian worship and have the proper place for your Christian worship. You know, have you seen these ads over the years? I don't remember what they're selling, but keep in mind they're selling something. I've seen these things where a guy's out hiking, enjoying the outdoors, the mountains, says, this is my church. Or this is my worship. Hey, I can appreciate general revelation, Psalm 19, and I can appreciate the sense of awe and wonder we should have of creation, but that's not God's described worship. Corporate public worship as his church, covenanted, committed to him and one another. As if God does not have an assembly of his people. What do you see through the entire Bible, but an assembled people around God worshiping him together? The body of Christ. So we see the next thing, no toleration of the pagans practices and now no toleration of the pagans idolatrous places. No toleration of these idolatrous places. The place matters. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. This does not mean you have to have a building in God's providence now. Israel has fulfilled the type is done. God's temple is the people of God throughout all the world. But we are to gather together and worship as his people. We may not have a building. We can do it outside. We, we can do it somewhere else if we have to. You know, during restrictions over COVID, we could do it outside the building. We could have done it somewhere else. 
But the point is God's gathered people, the stones on the cornerstone of Christ gathered to worship him. The place matters. They were around the tabernacle in their camp in the wilderness. They didn't move without him moving. And when he stopped, they stopped. And the, ser the worship service in the middle was always there in the tabernacle. But you see, here's the situation, and God speaks to it in the text. You're about to go into the promised land now. You're not going to be going through the wilderness anymore. You're going to spread out now in the promised land. Each tribe's going to get its own territory. You're going to be far away from one another. But what remains is the tabernacle. Later will be the tabernacle in one place, and that's where you have to go for my special festivals. That's where you have to go to make your sacrifices, your offerings. You may not do that wherever you want and make your own homes in all these places your altar. You can't do that. No altars in your closets. No private priests. No saying, I can worship in my home with my family. I don't need the church. Forget it. It's still centered around God and where he especially dwells with his people in public worship. They're going to spread out loud in the promised land. They need to remember that God's ark, God's presence, and thus worship must happen around where that is. Where the religious sacrifices by the Levitical priests are. In contrast to everywhere outdoors, verse 3, all over the place. Oh, yeah, we have places all over the place. Why? Polytheism, go worship all these different gods, all these different places, God of water, God of fire, God of land, whatever, you know, God of fertility, cover all the bases, just like Egypt. That's what they've been rescued out of. All these different places they could make wherever they want. And that's the warning. Look at verse 13. Don't be doing that. Verse 13. Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest. You see how important it is? Corporate worship with God's people around where God has us gather. Including not to miss the Lord's table for communion. P.C. Craigie writes, a danger that the people might be tempted to offer their legitimate burnt offerings to the Lord in illegitimate places. You know, you can go to worship and offer to the Lord what is appropriate, or you can go somewhere he doesn't call you to do it, and it's not legitimate. Or, of course, you can come into the church and offer God what he's not prescribed, and then it's illegitimate. You see, we can kid ourselves. We can wrap it up in packaging that when we're really honest is nothing more than idolatry. Just worship in the place that God chooses. Look at verse 5. And this we do want to look at the verses to really emphasize. This is the main idea of the text, the place. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there even unto his habitation shall ye seek and thither thou shalt come. Verse 11, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the heave offerings of your hand and all your choice vows, which ye vow unto the Lord. That's like Leviticus one through five. Mostly I told you how to do it and where to do it. You still have to do it where I say to do it. Where God chooses. Verse 14, but in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. There, the place God chooses, verse 18. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, thou and thy son and thy daughter, and thy manservant and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God in all that thou puttest thy hands unto. Verse, verses 26 to 20. 
28. Only the holy things which thou hast and thy vows thou shalt take and go into the place which the Lord shall choose. And thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood upon the altar of the Lord thy God. And the blood of thy sacrifices shall be poured out upon the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt eat the flesh. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever. When thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. Notice the place. There the place. The place God chooses. That's where you bring your worship. Uh, people saying today I'm going to go to a football game. Well, lots of people who are not concerned about what it sounds like say uh, we worship the football gods. They've decided this or that happened. You hear that all the time. Or, uh, you know, this is my church. You know, I, I saw a picture recently, you know, people sitting literally covered in feet of snow. I don't know if it was feet, but tons of snow bundled up watching a game. I think Gary Geisen, our friend, had it on his thing on LinkedIn. And uh, only if, it might not have been him, but oh, that the concern was, oh, that God's people would be were willing to go out of their way for worshiping God where he calls them to worship. We'll go out of our way to places of the world, pagans, but we won't go out of our way to be the place God calls us on his holy day for worship. Notice how significant it is. And don't let anybody keep you from it. Morning and evening sacrifice on the Lord's Day. Private and family worship in your home in between. John Currid writes, The sacrifices to Yahweh by the people of Israel are to be carried out in the proper way at the proper place. Paul House points out, Worship requires order so that the people will not make their own destructive rules or follow the practices of the Canaanites. Worship requires order. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, 33, and 40. God is not a God of confusion. So all must be done decently in order. And that's when people will come in, visitors, and say, God is in this place. I want to talk about place. Leviticus said, I mean, I mean, you know, some people are going to say, I'm at the beach today. That's where I'm worshiping. And some people have used that as an excuse not to show up for evening worship. No, 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 no. That's not what God says in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. I appreciate you can appreciate, but the place you go to worship God for his creation is in the house of God. Psalm 122, I was glad when I heard them saying, let us go to the house of the Lord. With the brethren. Leviticus 17, 3 to 6, the Israels were only to kill the animals when it was religious and a sacrifice. They were only to kill the animals in front of the tabernacle. They were not to kill the animals in their home. It had to be done right in front of the tabernacle when they were going to offer it as a religious worship. But notice here, there is an important disclaimer. It's made for non-religious activity that would otherwise be forbidden. Now, verses 15 to 25 give this exception or disclaimer. Uh, it isn't that within it there's a reminder of don't forget though when it's a religious sacrifice it has to be done in the temple it has to be done on the altar of God but you know when you're spread out far in all these different territories now you got to eat you know you can kill animals and you can eat them but do not think you're going to offer them in some kind of religious worship ceremony just eat them and don't pour the blood out or don't eat and drink the blood in some way. The blood is to be poured out when it's a religious sacrifice only at the altar in the temple, in the tabernacle. You don't start pouring out the blood and offering worship anywhere you want. Like these pagans make any place they want to do whatever they want for the Lord. No, God has a place for such things. 
1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 22. You can eat food offered to idols, because it's nothing. Idols, nothing. But you better not be in their temples worshiping with those idols. The devil is there. Well, you can eat the meat outside in the marketplace, whatever's left over. There's nothing connected to it. Don't be superstitious, but don't be in their temples. So this is the thing, adiaphora, you know, in general life, there's a distinction between, uh, you know, worship and the rest of life. And this is a distinction that most Christians don't have anymore. Similarly, you can enjoy singing songs with instruments for entertainment and enjoyment outside of worship. But you must regulate your worship according to what God commands. John D. Curd writes, the Canaanites worship their many gods in many places. What a contrast to Israel, who is to worship one God in one place. The oneness of the sanctuary in Israel symbolizes the oneness of the deity and the oneness of the divine worship. You see, that's the same issue when they had to come out of Egypt. Only one Lord. That's what the first long sermon by Moses is about. No other gods. The great Shema. Thus they had to go to Jerusalem for the various annual events, especially Passover. And so you see in the book of Acts, that's why all these God-fearing Jews are there to hear about Jesus at his resurrection when Peter is preaching about him in Acts chapter 2. Because they came to the place from all their different tribes in the promised land where they were to be to offer their sacrifices unto the Lord. The place where God manifests himself in his worship of his people. they were just all in their own places, who would have heard of Christ? In the New Testament, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16 says that now we are to sing the Psalter a cappella. We are to honor the Lord's day with the Lord's people as his holy temple and assembly. It was the tabernacle and then the temple. It was first Shiloh and then it was at Jerusalem. And now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is your heart that is the instrument that offers up the worship of God. You are called together on the Lord's day for Christian worship with the brethren, receiving the elements and the means of grace, such as we see also in the book of Acts, prayer, reading and preaching of the word, the apostles doctrine, the sacraments, the Lord's supper. Again, Psalm 122, I was happy when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I pray for the brethren. Psalm 133, what a blessed thing it is to dwell together in unity with the people of God. And the priest Aaron, the Levitical high priest is mentioned, and his beard and the oil flowing down as an example of how good it is. Many psalms sing of going to the temple to worship God together where he manifests himself. Psalm 84, right? I'd rather be, if I have to, I'll be an usher in the doors as long as I get to be near God. I'd rather be in God's courts for one day than a thousand days elsewhere in the tents of the wicked. There's a sense of place, the gathering with God's people to worship him through Jesus Christ, coming together and worshiping the Lord collectively as the body of Christ, the head, partaking of the body and blood at his table in the Lord's Supper. You must regulate your worship. Many psalms sing again of coming together, but I give you the Westminster Larger Catechism uh, number 50. What's required in the second commandment. 
The second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. So can I say to session, have courage. Jesus says in Matthew, where two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in your midst. He's talking about the government of the church. Take courage that as we try to lead our people and new visitors to understand, to obey all Christ's commandments, including especially what that means on the Lord's day and where they should be on the Lord's day, morning and evening, take courage. This is what is required in the second commandment. Not any place you can be. Other places of worship or recreation in the outdoors. For in the end, God will come down to dwell with his people in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and earth, surrounded by the worship of his angels, elders and people around God, the throne and the lamb. And all pagans with their plurality of deity and places will have been sent with the devil off the earth into hell forever. Place matters. Don't want to be in the place where God prescribes for worship now? You better be concerned about where you're going to be when that's for eternity. Only those worshiping the true God, his true way, will remain in the truly worldwide worshiping church. The way by the word, what God says, where he says to, because it is all about God. Have the proper policy and practice for your Christian worship. Have the proper place for your Christian worship. And have, ultimately, at the heart of it all, the proper person for your Christian worship. Because whatever your idols are, they're leading you to a false god. And if you give yourself to what God says to do, and how and where and when and why, then it's about him. It would be like a wife keeping the romantic trinkets of new lovers near her bedside. Oh, I love you so much, honey. Or even worse, going to the beds in other houses of these lovers, coming back once in a while. Oh, I love you. It's all good. Places where their husband and fellowship is not. Being unfaithful. Don't do this to your God. That's ultimately the concern. Look at verse 4. Don't worship me like that. Don't treat me like that. Verse 4. Ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God. Verse 8. Ye shall not do after all the things that ye that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Verse 25. Thou shalt not eat it, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 28. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. Verse 31. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods, through their idols, of course, for even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire. To their gods. 
Again, see what it all ends in the sacrifice of family, which is the sacrifice of church and, of course, state, which is exactly what Satan is always up to. Look at Revelation 12. There is to be no toleration of the pagans' idols, which are fronts for false gods. There are no toleration of the pagans' practices, including in the worship of God in his own place, if you get that right, because it's a front for false gods. They were delivered by the only true God, and they must worship him alone. Let's turn back to chapter 6 and not forget the beginning of the first sermon on the first commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Of course, it's always about love, isn't it? So I do want to warn you again, as we've been thinking about, you could be offering God what he says to do. Outwardly, you could be doing it all right, and you could look particularly pious about it. We could be doing everything right. Somebody a cappella, best version of the, of the Bible. You know, what we allow in worship, what we don't allow in worship. How we do the Lord's Supper. We could be doing it all exactly as God commands. But if love's not in it, it's idolatry. Where's your mind and heart been in the sermon, beloved? Anything distracting you? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, I can do all kinds of things to God, but if I don't have love in it, it's a clanging symbol. It is not pleasing to him, and it doesn't benefit me at all. You could just be faking it, doing it all right. It starts in the heart. Let's always be checking ourselves of idolatry in the heart. And let us be doing it the right way for the right reasons, for God. Because remember, also in the Bible, Paul warns that covetousness is idolatry. How many things are you coveting right now that have kept you distracted from the sermon today and from your God? You might be doing it right outside. Paul House says this one place of worship, quote, is a choice that will limit polytheism's advance among the people. One, one, one. Not many gods, not many places, not many practices. One way, the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John Curd, quoting Thompson, writes this. The one center for true worship is not a place, but a person. That's what Jesus teaches the woman at the well, John 4, 19 to 26, right? Well, I know that you say, the Jews say worship is supposed to be on this mountain. We Samaritans say it's supposed to be on this mountain. Jesus says there's going to be a day where it's not on either mountain. Uh, you must do right, not in your own eyes, but in God's eyes. Verse 8 again, look at this. It's, it's surely warning about what's going to happen in the book of Judges. Don't do what is right in your own eyes. And that's what everybody's doing with idolatry. Well, I want to do this. It looks okay to me, and here's how I'm going to justify it, though it's illogical and unbiblical. I'm always going to ultimately say, but it just makes me feel happy. I'm too afraid to tell others to stop. We're to fear God and not man. Verse 8. Ye shall not, verse, chapter 12, verse 8, ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. 
Verse 25 and verse 28 say, Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord related to worship. For it is about and for and regulated by him. And if we make worship about and for us, as in our own eyes, it ends very badly like in the book of Judges, chapter 17, 6, 21, 25. They did what was right in their own eyes. And they hired false priests in the end. Also Aaron, the golden calves. This is your God that delivered you. Jeroboam with his golden calves in the wrong place, let alone the wrong thing, so they didn't have to go to Jerusalem. Because at that point, the kingdom's divided. I want to keep them here. I don't want them going there. But it isn't about what God wants. Don't do it to the wrong person. Always seeking control, which is the heart of idolatry. I'm going to make me an image, and I'm going to tell it what I want it to do for me, which is ultimately to make me God. Thus, also, no eating of blood. Verses 16 and 23. No consuming of blood. The life is in the blood. Very much of this comes out of Leviticus. It stands at this time. I'm not going to get into what is fulfilled in the ceremonial system, but what is so significant about it, the life is in the blood. But there's other things here related to idolatry. The pagans would pour out the blood at their makeshift idolatrous shines, shrines. And the Israelites must pour out the blood not in any place other than God chooses for worship. When it is a religious slaughtering related to a religious worship sacrifice, the blood has to be poured out at the altar. It just can't be done anywhere. They can't make themselves their own priests. Can't make their houses their churches. They can't act like they don't need the beloved people of God. They can't act like they don't need Christ in the way Christ has ordained things to govern his church. They can eat the food they cannot eat the blood, and they have to pour it on the ground. They cannot do anything else with it. No religious ceremony or consumption with the blood. But here's what's striking. John Currid writes this. It shows the singleness of devotion to the law of the central altar. Israel's entire sacrificial system is to be implemented and practiced only as the central sanctuary. You see, there's no other way to be atoned for sin. What's, this, what's the temple and the tabernacle all about? Bringing people who are sinful into right relation and worship with the holy God in his presence. And that's his way. Atonement for sin, forgiveness, being saved by God's system of salvation, which was portrayed in the tabernacle and in the temple, typifying Jesus Christ. You just can't go anywhere you want for salvation. But to God... And the way he provi provides it. Paul House writes this about the promised land. Wherever the ark goes is the place where sacrifices and festival ought to occur. Forgiveness and national solidarity must be secured by God, what, as God dictates, not as human ingenuity imagines, to ward off the encroachment of idolatrous practices. And is there not a problem with churches, too many even in evangelical world today, making it an, a, a gospel of works again? I save myself by my own works in one way or the other. This was to warn and prepare for the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who alone takes away the sins of the world. No other means of salvation. You go no other place but to Jesus Christ and the cross, and Him resurrected and ascended at the right hand of God in heaven. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The world hates that today. Too much of the church is denying that today. 
One place, Jesus Christ, from the cross, dead, buried, risen, now ascended in heaven. Destroy the idolatrous practices and things and places to remove their very memory by removing the names of the land. You see in verse 3 it says, remove these idols that you remove the names of these false idols and these false gods. Which is important. John Curd points out, in ancient Near Eastern thought, what had no name had no existence. That's why they'd like to have a name for their false idols and gods, because it, uh, it summons the names, and by speaking it thought they had power over them. And here's what God is saying. We're going to get rid of the names of these places, because they don't exist. Thus, Zechariah 13, 12, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Why ultimately though? To exalt the name of the Lord your God. Look at verse 5 again. But unto that place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there. Look at verse 11. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Look at verse 21. If the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to put his name there. Speaking of the tabernacle, ultimately in Jerusalem, the temple, where they had to go for all the religious ceremonies and sacrifices. Beloved, what is your name? The Bible says your name is Christian. Because you've taken on Christ. He's put his name on you in your foreheads. And you don't take on the number or the name of the beast in the world. Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name but Jesus. Under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what this is ultimately most important about. That people are not missing Jesus that the church is not missing Jesus and salvation by idolatry. That snares us away from him. Westminster Larger Catechism, question 52. The reasons annexed to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over us, his priority in us, and the zeal he hath to his own worship. That's why we do only what God wants and nothing he doesn't want. That's why we stay away from idolatry, from the world that comes through God's people into the church. No false worship. Because he has a zeal for his true worship, just as Jesus did for his father's temple when he cleansed it of worldly consumeristic practices. John 2, 17. And John said, thus was fulfilled, Psalm 69, verse 9. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up or consumed me. It's to be a house of prayer, not a marketplace. Too much of the church is taking on idolatry of the world today to sell something to one another. 
In John 4 again, Jesus said, God the Father seeks worshipers to offer worship to him in spirit and in truth. And it will no longer be a place in Samaria or Jerusalem, but wherever his people are gathered in true worship around the world in which it is advancing. And one day it will completely take over and expel all false worshipers and their idols and their places and their practices. As you would worship only God, seen in worshiping him only his way. There's another thing to look at. Watch yourself. Keep watch over yourself. Verses 1, 13, 19, 28, 30, 31. It's nothing new in Deuteronomy. Watch yourself. Watch out. Watch yourself. Keep yourself from idolatry. Be very careful. You going to go out with that today? It's so dangerous to be snared right into it. And make nothing but unbiblical, illogical, sentimental excuses. By the peer pressure of paganism, disguising itself by Satan masquerading as an angel of light. Watch yourself. Starting watching your hearts. And then your practices and the places of your practice and your practices in that place, if it's the right place. First Corinthians 10, verse seven, New Testament pointing to the old saying, they're your example to learn not to be like them. First Corinthians 10, verse seven, neither be ye idolaters. As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play as when they were making the golden calves. Right at Mount Sinai. They had just gotten the Ten Commandments, including the second. Watch yourself. If that can happen to them in that situation, how much more can it happen to you and me? 1 John 5, verse 21. He ends his whole first letter. So many wonderful things in it. But he ends his entire letter with these words. 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And that is more than a piece of wood or a hunk of stone. It's what you're doing with yourselves and where and why and for whom. To not be idolaters. To not have idols as means to regulate your life and your church. Regulate your life. Regulate your church. And especially your public and corporate worship according to God's word and God's word alone. Sola Scriptura. Why? Because it's for God's glory alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Don't add to it. Don't take away from what he's prescribed for worship. Again, verse 32 of our chapter we'll look at next week. Going back to chapter 4, verse 2. Mentioned again at the end of Revelation. To keep and watch yourself from idolatry. Biblically protect a proper policy, a proper practice, and a proper place. Because it's all about worshiping the only proper person. The Lord God and the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here ends Moses' sermon on the second commandment about not making and not having idols and not practicing idolatry in how or where you worship. 
The way to protect from such a practice, properly regulate your worship. That is the message for you this morning, beloved, particularly for your session, but for all of you in what you encourage and support of your session, properly regulate your worship. And beloved, as we preach this this morning, I am so convicted that I think that is a foreign concept to most of the church, including the Reformed Church these days. The idea that we have a responsibility to regulate our worship, let alone be here for it. I think it's a foreign concept. But we're not to practice the customs of the foreigners and the foreign land we are to fill it with Christ and only his worship that is in spirit and truth. Again, the message for you this morning, regulate, properly regulate your worship. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, we do thank you for this day and pray that you regulate our hearts and regulate our practices and bring us to the right place and worship you, Christ the Lord. To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the mediator between God and men. It is through your church you serve the means of grace, especially the Lord's Supper we will partake of now. Lord, as we partake, let us repent of our sins. Let us love you deeply by the work of your Holy Spirit. And let us not make idols of the elements but let us be thankful for what they remind us of and that you have told us to do this. And so we do and seek your blessing upon it. Oh, Lord, we do uh, ask now, Lord, as we're about to partake of the Lord's Supper, that you will bless this bread and wine that we set apart from a common to a holy use as you have told us, partaking the way you have told us with what you have told us to partake of. We ask that you will bless us with spiritual blessing and nourishment as we partake of the body and blood of Christ. We pray, Lord, we remember in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are not to partake in the temple of idols, but to partake only in the house of the Lord of Christ alone and not be in the presence of demons elsewhere. One place to worship you in your church corporately taking of these means. We ask your blessing upon your appointed means served as you have appointed and ordained to be so. And help us, Lord, to partake with our whole heart of love and thanksgiving to you. Let us not do so in vain. Oh, Lord, bless this time to be a true fellowship with our Lord God, serving us from the table, preparing us one day to see you face to face as we eat and fellowship at the great supper of the Lamb. And indeed, let us rejoice. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power power and the glory forever.